Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Cocktails and Khaki. Today we will be discussing season 8, episode 7, Nurse Doctor. And as always, I'm joined by Sabrina, but today we have a special guest. Uh, we have Merle, who is actually better known, I would think, to a lot of you as Heaven's Yes, Father Mulcahy on Tumblr. Hello. Hello, yes. <laughs> yes, say hi, both of you. Hi. Hi. Wonderful. Other people are here. It's not just me. Okay. <laughs> Well, our episode that we're talking about this week, as I just said, is Nurse Doctor, which was aired on October 29th, 1979 on CBS. And the first big thing that we have before we can even get into the plot or what's going on is that we have another character introduction, which I think will be our final character introduction. Um, am I... Is there anybody else we're missing at this point? I don't think so. I think Charles was the last one added into the cast. He is, but we still haven't done Sydney yet either. I think we haven't done an episode with Sydney yet. That's true. So... I feel like he and maybe even Flag are important enough to talk about a little. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But but this is our last uh, main cast character to add. Uh, so like she said, uh, we are introduced to... Actually, we're introduced at the beginning of Season 6. Uh, Major Charles Emerson Winchester III. Uh, he is a surgeon who is brought in to replace Frank after Frank goes crazy and gets sent stateside. Uh, but he really only replaces Frank in in the role of surgeon only. Um, I put in here that Charles is a pompous ass, because um, he kind of is. Uh, and he reminds me a lot of my British lit professor in college, and I nicknamed him Pompous Ass, so it just kind of works. To be fair, it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't love him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One of the things I really like about Charles is, as I think we've talked before, uh, the pranks played on Frank were kind of borderline bullying, but uh, Charles gives it as good as, good as he gets it. He, yeah. He's as big a prankster as Hawkeye and BJ are. <clears throat> uh, where we say BJ is a small ball of uh, unrequited rage, uh, <laughs> uh, Charles is a large ball of fury. He just angry all the time. That's why when you see his portrait that Potter paints, it's uh, it's of Charles screaming. Uh, but he's specifically mad about being stationed in a mass unit in Korea because he was originally at Tokyo General um, and he did something to make a higher up mad and uh, he got sent in country. So I would probably be angry like he is. Charles also has a lot of trouble showing gratitude. Particularly when people try to help him out. It, this, this is a flaw of more than one character on the show. I just think Charles has the biggest flaw of it. Like we see in the finale when Margaret's trying to get him a job in Boston. And um, he has trouble telling her thank you. As a matter of fact, he actually kind of gets angry at her. But for all his flaws and all of his anger and his snobbishness, uh, he does have a heart of gold. Uh, and he plays an advocate for for a lot of the patients that he sees doesn't really have one uh the one that comes to mind obviously is the private with a stutter and we find out later why but he he definitely sticks up and tries to protect the the soldier from the rest of his his unit there's also the brilliant one with the pianist who loses his hand that one's oh yeah i love that one and one thing that I, I one thing that I if I could jump in that I love about Charles is that he when he does good things he often keeps them secret. Uh. It's like he's trying to protect his 
persona as a a bad guy or a Scroogey kind of guy. You know, he's he's delivering things to the orphans in the dead of night, and he's doing things for others where nobody can see. Yeah. True. I also noticed he, he also has a really good character growth, from the character he is in the earlies of season six to the character he becomes later on in the season. And he's the character who I think spends the least amount of, of time actually on the show, which is really wrong of me, but he is a composer and a conductor. Uh, so you can insert your Chinese band joke there and your broken record joke there. One of my favorite uh, Charles episodes is the episode where he gets, when he goes to Tokyo, gets drunk, gets married, uh, then gets drunk and gets unmarried. Uh, and BJ performs the unwedding. And I it's fantastic. love the line about by the power and did me by the state of intoxication. He had his family. Uh, he has a father and a mother and a sister. So I think he's the only one that we find out that it actually has living family, like like a living complete family. Um, and he is portrayed by the wonderful David Ogden Stiers. Um, and if you've seen like any Disney animated movie since like the eighties. Uh, he's probably in it, <clears throat> which is what he does a lot of now. Uh, but he's he's great at he's he's great in both. So that is our new major. He's quite wonderful, I think. I love him. I'm so happy when he arrives. I'm very pro Charles. We are a pro Charles podcast. See, the official stamp of approval has been given. <laughs> <laughs> But we are going to go on to the episode Nurse Doctor, which was chosen by our guest. Yes. So if you would like to tell us why you chose this one, I think it's going to be pretty obvious to anyone who has watched <laughs> it in preparation. But Yeah. Um, well, I, I wanted to pick a good Father Mulcahy episode, and there were a lot of good choices. Um, but I I do like this one because he we, we get to see him get... It's not exactly a romantic subplot because it's totally unrequited, but but uh, it's just interesting to see what he does in this situation. It doesn't really come up a lot in the show, and uh, I am just when I watch this, I wonder how this kind of misunderstanding doesn't happen like every other week to Father Mulcahy because he's he's just so adorable. But uh, yeah, I I do I love watching this episode. I love how it how it all plays out, and I especially love Hawkeye's reaction to the whole situation. Hawkeye thinks it's hilarious, genuinely hilarious. It's like he doesn't even understand. It's he's delighted. <laughs> Me too. But the main plot of this episode is that Lieutenant Harris, one of the nurses, is studying to become an actual doctor. She's going into medical school, or at least she's hoping to pass the exams into medical school. And Father Mulcahy, of course, is helping her study. I don't know if back then they were called the MCATs, but that w that's what they're called now. Yeah. That's what yep. she's trying to pass. And, of course, we are presented with... Lieutenant Harris, who is a major character in this particular one episode, which is unusual because we don't very often get a lot of nurse-focused episodes focused on anyone besides Margaret. Uh, there's a couple here and there, but... I can only think of one, and it's not even really focused on her. Um, I hey, look me over. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, too. That's a great episode. <sighs> well, there's also, like, the major plot line with the nurse who they're trying to set up in the tent and the nurses. Uh... Oh yeah, and there isn't there the one where Margaret finds the nurse and she's intoxicated more often than she probably should be. Oh yeah, yeah. the one where her friend's visiting and she's uh, an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, I forgot about that. But there's still not very many considering the overall run of the show. The nurse is always kind of in the background, you know. There's also not many episodes where it's focused on somebody who isn't one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Of course, by this time, when Christopher's actually getting billing in the beginning, isn't he? By now? Yeah. By this season, because it's so late? Because at first he doesn't. I think it's season three, because I think he starts getting billed when uh, Jamie Farr starts getting billed for Klinger. Yeah. I think it's three or four. For a long time, it's... I know this because I've looked at the IMDb list of all of the episodes that have Father Mulcahy in it, Um, but for a long time, he's credit only. He's just not in the episode, but he's billed, but by this time, he's pretty much in every single episode. He is, I think, the character with the third most episodes in the run of the series, um, uh, next to uh, Alan Alda's Hawkeye and, and Loretta's What is Margaret. Mm-hmm. So, thoughts on Lieutenant Harris? She's annoying as can be, but is she justified in that? Are people giving her, like, I don't know, what do you guys think? I identify a lot with Lieutenant Harris. She is annoying, um, but I've totally been that person. Um, she's, I, I wrote in my summary that she's the Hermione Granger, pretty much. She's, she's the pushy nerd, and she um, is trying to participate in the best way she knows how, but she's coming off as a an annoying know-it-all. And, yeah, I, I just wonder, does she come off as more annoying and pushy because she is a woman? I was thinking of that other episode, The Young and the Restless, with the young upstart male surgeon that's kind of getting under Charles's skin. And is she any more annoying than that guy? Is it treated differently? It's It's interesting to think about. I think the reason... She's more annoying, and I don't think it has anything to do with with her being a female, because like like you said, the other guy was was annoying and was also annoying Charles. I think her problem is that she waits till the worst moment in time mm-hmm. to push that. You know what I mean? Like she is questioning Charles in the middle of a full in OR. The, yes, she in the middle have... of a full OR with a backup of patients waiting. Yes. She doesn't read situations very well. She doesn't have a good sense of appropriate and inappropriate times and places, as and, we and find I, out later. And, <laughs> and I think, and I think the other problem is she's not just asking questions; she's questioning his technique. Yes, like you can't understand the technique of something just from reading it out of a textbook. Charles has experience; he knows what he's doing. Now, if you ask him, "Why are you doing this?" Not trying to give him an alternative to doing it. <clears throat> I yeah, think she, she was, was come asking off instead less. of asking why why are you doing that, she was asking why aren't you doing this other thing? And I think she was just trying to know why. She was just trying to get information, but the way that she chose to phrase it came off as totally uh arrogant and uh presumptuous. I also think that her problem, at least with the other nurses, is that I think the, the viewer is a traitor, and, and I don't mean that she is, but I mean that they're happy being nurses, and she seems to not be happy being just a nurse. And there's no such thing as being just a nurse. I mean, being a nurse is, is one of the toughest professions ever. But they're happy being nurses. They're happy doing what they want to do, and they feel that she's abandoning them. Mm-hmm. She's trying to rise above her station Exactly. And when later on we see Margaret uh, embracing that when she kind of 
at the end starts pushing Lieutenant Harrison's like, you're going to still do it because I'm not going to let you throw away your chance to do this. Well, I think Margaret was always totally in her camp. She just has a bit of a persecution complex, this girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, which is surprising to me because I feel like Margaret might join in with the other nurses considering how much Margaret loves being a nurse. I think Margaret also... Um, I think Margaret would also be someone who would want to see a young woman challenging herself and going into a male-dominated profession. I think she would she would encourage that. I can see that. I, I could understand that. But she's it's a very tough love from that she gets from Margaret, so she nurse nurse Harris does not see it as Margaret supporting her. Well she gets the the Girl Scout troop. Yes. Speech. This is no brownie troop and I'm no den mother. Dismiss Lieutenant but but that's always been Margaret. Margaret has never been a, a a Margaret. Margaret is is always been a what's the word I want to use here? A tough love person to our nurses. I mean, look at look at the episode the nurses. You know what I mean? And we finally understand why Margaret is the tough love person that leader that she is. And it's a little bit of that older Margaret shining through, though, in a way. Yeah. It is, it absolutely is. But this episode also has, I think, early season Hawkeye kind of shining through, too. But we'll get to that later. No, we can get to it now if you'd like. <laughs> well, you and I you and I talked last night. Um, we were talking about uh, why it was so, I want to say different, uh, why early season Hawkeye kind of shines through. And we said that it was, it was because he doesn't look at her as anything, he doesn't look at Harris anything more than... A figure, you know what I mean? I think that early season, I mean, I think that aspect of Hawkeye, even though he, the character was clearly working on it, that never goes away completely. Like, pretty recently, was it in the same season we had the episode Inga about the Swedish female surgeon that came? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so it was either the season or the season right before it. And I, I think this weakness of Hawkeye's that he he doesn't see women as people all of the time is it keeps coming up over and over again and uh, he keeps having to deal with it well in our conversation last night what I was saying to her is that I think that it comes down to that he sees her and she he thinks she's attractive but he doesn't find her interesting enough to put in the effort to get to know her in any way so, because his objective view of women is just their attractiveness essentially mm -hmm. um and that's how he sees her at first although he does sort of form a little bit more of a relationship with her toward the end when they start working together on things like that but because he's not interested enough he doesn't bother with it yeah and he's like that with with actually with all people um on the periphery it seems like these the characters that dance in and out if he's not interested enough in you then they, he'll have like a basic assumption or thought about you but not go beyond that mm. right we see the same thing in um well we were just talking about hey look me over that episode is all about that aspect of hawkeye yeah because kelly's like you know because yeah, he just doesn't he's not interested enough in her to make a difference and he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong because it's not like he dislikes her or purposely doesn't pay attention to her right but am I the 
only one who notices it's only it, it it's only brought up in in that particular episode. Like if we see them interact in other episodes, he's talking with her, he's joking with her. It's just it just seems like that one episode where he seems to be like ignoring her. I mean, they don't have a lot of interaction over the the eleven seasons, but that seems to be the one where he's actually ignoring her. Like it's not that he doesn't find her interesting. He he, he enjoys talking with her, enjoys joking around with her. She's a great nurse in the OR. That's true. And that could have more to do with the fact that the writers don't find her interesting. <laughs> Is that right? I mean, that? that could be. That episode was written by Ellen Alda, wasn't it? Mm, I don't think so. I could be wrong though. Let's it's Google that. Happen. Let's play. Gonna... Look me over, Mash. <laughs> It was it was written by Alan Alda, actually. I was wrong. So, I forget what episodes he wrote and which episodes he just directed. I'm just going to be a horrible person and go ahead and say it. That uh, So what we have here is another one of his fanfics. <laughs> it really is. Though. Like, he, he wrote is... some Nurse Kelly fanfic. <laughs> he really did. It's all fanfiction. Like, it, it's seriously. not as good as his... Um, it's not Kai Margaret fanfic, but it's there. <laughs> that is Comrades in Arms Part 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, oh, we're, we're stranded in the wilderness and we have to huddle together for warmth. Like, that's such an overused fanfic trope. Come on, Alan Alda. <laughs> oh, they didn't just huddle together for warmth. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how it always starts, though. It's true. If he starts writing AUs, we would have been in a weird place, but it's okay. <laughs> but no, in fact, I, I put a post up, cause, again, because I'm just a horrible person. I was complaining about how people aren't filling the MASH prompts on the MASH prompt Tumblr, and I'm like, Alan Alda's fanfic won Emmys. <laughs> Write a freaking fanfic. <laughs> was that the episode he won the Emmy for? For writing? I don't remember. Okay. He's won more than one, and he's won up for directing, too. Let's see. I love the internet. It's so I'm wanting useful. to say it's not. I'm wanting to say that it was in season five was the episode he won the Emmy for. This podcast has gotten sidetracked so fast. It's okay. We'll get back to it. <laughs> but first, I need to know what Emmy he won for. Oh, <laughs> uh, if my mash book wasn't so far away, I could answer your question. I do <clears throat> like that when I when I looked it up, they they're like. When I looked up him in the Emmys, the first thing it tells me is he's on the list of the 17 greatest moments TV in, in the TV Emmys. Yeah, because he did a cartwheel. For cartwheeling? I just... Yeah, when he I won, he did a cartwheel. He did a cartwheel oh, down there. that's adorable. Because writing was the one thing he wanted to be recognized for. So when he won the Emmy for writing, he did a cartwheel up huh. to the stage. He's also the first person who won an Emmy for acting, writing, and directing the same show. That's fine, but what episode was it, God darn it? <laughs> Triple threat. Was it Dear Sigmund? I hope so. Now that you say that, I really hope so. Let me, give me a second. Somebody else do this, because I'm failing at Googling, and I'm going to cut all, you this all out. You all continue to talk. I will figure it out. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. <laughs> so let's continue with our episode i so i was gonna say about uh harris that she she feels like everybody's against her which is obviously not true because hawkeye kind of defends her in the or and margaret is on her side but um i think wh where she's getting that is that father mulcahy is the only one who is treating her as an equal because hawkeye is treating her like a hot lady 
and Margaret obviously outranks her, so can't be on equal footing with her. That's true. Can we talk for a moment about Mulcahy and his stories that are absolutely not true that he tells yes, people? <laughs> absolutely. Because <laughs> he tells her the story about his, uh, is it his cousin Kevin? His cousin Kevin, yes. <laughs> um, so he's, when he is kind of studying with her and, and comforting her, he tells a story about his cousin Kevin who wanted to go into med school but just couldn't cut it because the work was too gory and gruesome. And she says, well, what does he do now? And he says, he's a mortician, which gets a big laugh. And she says, father, is that true? And he says, no, of course not. I just wanted to see you smile, which is very sweet. But it also makes you think about all of the other times he's done that on the show to other people and not been questioned about it. He's just, his word is taken for, for true. I have an answer for you, by the way. Okay. Oh, yes. It's from Inga. Inga. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was nominated for Dear Sigmund, but he won for Inga. Which, well, I'm glad he won for Inga, but I'm really disappointed now about Sigmund, because it's my favorite, I think. <laughs> Period. Anyway, back to where we were, though. We were talking about Mulcahy lying, did you? Yeah, his untrue, <laughs> his untrue stories. Like when he says that he went to a bachelor party where a nun jumped out of an angel food cake. Obviously not true, but nobody comments on it. They just kind of let it, let it pass by. Or the long story that he tells to Frank about a sex ed video he watched that involved a young lady who lived in a trailer with three other young ladies and a man with a whip. Which, I don't think that happened either. I think he's trying to get a rise out of Frank and failing. Hmm. But, yeah, he he does this a lot. <laughs> oh, I love that, that he does that, though. I think it's wonderful. It fits right in with his gambling and his drinking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Victimless lies. I don't know. That scene culminates in the most awkwardly long hug with a priest <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And that's saying something because I was raised Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> it's great because you can really just see his face as he suddenly, he's like, okay. <laughs> okay, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Oh, crap. This is happening. I have to do something about this. You see his expression change. Oh, yeah. It, like, does not compute. You mentioned that it was a requited love. Am I the only person that thinks that maybe he finds it more awkward because he maybe has that feelings towards her? And he feels wrong for it? I mean, it's it's a possibility. We don't really know for sure what's what's happening in there. But, I mean, that that could be a possible explanation for why he felt the need to cut off the lessons immediately. Just cut off any possibility of... Of that yeah. happening. Because you would think it, that that actually is probably a, a really good observation in a way, because that does make his actions make a little more sense in a way. I mean, he's a priest, but he's priests a man. are men. I mean, he's just, he's he's just a man. He's human, and he wants human contact like anyone else. And he gets the stuffing hugged out of him. <laughs> yep. He gets the stuffing hugged out of him. I do have to say... When you look at that scene, you know, he's got this nice red tablecloth and the room is kind of intimately lit and he's wearing that nice uh, black turtleneck that he wears. And, you know, I obviously I can see where Lieutenant Harris is coming from here. You see where she's getting her cues. Yeah. I feel like that sentence just just was the start of a fan fiction. 
All right, Internet, you know what to do. <laughs> go for it. Go out, go out, my elves. Go out and write. And then there's the awkward conversation that takes place just before the hug, though, where he's asking her, you know, talking about his name. Yeah, which has changed since the last time we learned his full name. Yeah, um, because it was much John... Like, it was John Patrick, Patrick Francis, Francis, and now it's Francis John Patrick. So it's it's like Aaron's age and the sex of Potter's horse. It just it fluctuates. Little things that don't really matter, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird conversation, and then then she decides to call him the same thing his mom does, and it's just the and whole that's thing's weird. weird. And he says. My mother always called me Johnny. She was a woman, too, which is a weird thing to say. It's just... can, I, can I say, though, that it makes me wonder, his mother called him Johnny. It makes me wonder if Francis was just the name he took when he became a priest. Possibly. they do that. That's absolutely an option. Although, uh, in another episode, he refers to Francis as his given name, which would seem to indicate that it's... His birth name, his family name, so I don't know. He's got too many names. He does. He has too many names. That's why everybody just calls him father. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would do like to add, though, that in that conversation, kind of what starts it, 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 there's discussion about how everybody treats him as being different. Yes, I liked that little speech. Because that's a very important thing to the episode in particular, when you're looking at someone like Lieutenant Harris, who's very obviously being written and singled out and shown the way that everybody treats her differently, that part of the connection she feels to him is that he is kind of an outcast, too. Yes. Not 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 an outcast, but just sort of untouchable. But he has an outcast in himself. It's just the idea of him being a priest. Mm -hmm. What outcasts him. Like, not what he said or his actions. It's just... He's a priest. And he's so unassuming. Like, I don't remember which episode it is where they're... I think it's the one where they're watching Radar's home movies where they call out everybody who's in the room and they don't call his name. And he's like, "I'm. it's okay, I'm used to being mistaken for absent. Yeah, but if you look at his face, he's pissed. Yeah, he's angry. It is. It's It's uh, Dear Ma. Is it in Dear Ma? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he often... This this kind of comes up over and over again The um, where he feels invisible and just in little background scenes you'll see him almost get hit by jeeps or uh you know you'll see henry burst in on him uh angry and run into him and start swearing at him and then oh sorry father i realize i i I didn't realize you were a reg or i thought you were a regular person you just he kind of gets walked all over and and ignored a lot and it gets to him and that's why i want some of my favorite or at least for me, some of my favorite things with him are when he's standing up for himself, like when he gets angry about not being promoted, or the episode where he has the AWOL soldier in the mess tent and he's refusing to let them take him. Mm-hmm. I think those are some of the best episodes for him because he is like used to being ignored and he starts actually kind of standing up for himself. Mm-hmm. He's He's a shy person, but when he has a worthy cause, he's very strong, very tough. Um, can we talk about how much I enjoy Potter yelling at the three of them? <laughs> my favorite, that's my favorite scene in this episode. The middle school principal scene. 
stop your middle school drama. But stop. the problem, but the problem is they're all getting yelled at for things they didn't do. Yes. True. Hawkeye didn't tell the entire camp about what McCoyhe told him. Margaret doesn't hate her, and Mulcahy isn't actually dating. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because they're like doing the, but we didn't do it because it's true they didn't do it. <laughs> Putter doesn't want to hear it. Especially Hawkeye. Hawkeye's like, I didn't do anything. Because I think he's so used to having done something. For the first time <laughs> in eight years, I didn't do it. <laughs> but you're right, it is very um, middle school principal. Stop off your drama. <laughs> Just stand in the corner and think about what you've done. <laughs> My other favorite scene in this episode is when they're in the, the mess tent. The, the creamed... Uh, weenies. He's oh, the food looks so gross. <laughs> Beets and weenies. You creamed out- weenies? Hawkeye, Hawkeye was fine until he got to the creamed weenies, and then he is so outraged. The food always looks gross on this show, but they they outdid themselves on this episode. I'm just going to go ahead and say it again. There's a cookbook for this show. <laughs> Why? Oh, Why well. is it? And it's written by, um, oh, what's his name? He Jeff played- Maxwell. Jeff, he plays thank Igor. you. Yeah, who plays Igor. I couldn't remember his first name for the life of me. I was like, Max. But yeah, but why is there a cookbook for this show? Well, you get you get that with with fandoms. That's so you might, true. You just people want to experience the whole. The whole I do not want show. to experience cream weenies personally. <laughs> <laughs> just putting it out there. <laughs> this this is a little bit of a, a tangent, and we can cut it out. But um, m- one of my other great fandom loves is the. Aubrey and Maturin series of novels by Patrick O'Brien, but there's there's a cookbook for those novels which take place at sea. And one of the main characters in one of the books gets stranded on an island and lives on what he calls boiled shit, which is just rainwater and bird shit that has been sitting around in pools. And there's a cookbook for these books, and there's a <laughs> recipe for boiled shit in the cookbook. <laughs> I would rather eat cream of weenie. Yeah. <laughs> I want there to be a cabin pressure cookbook because I really need surprising rice. Sorry. Surprising there rice. is a there's a Bob's Burger cookbook that, that gives you the recipes for all the, the burger specials from the episodes. That's awesome. I'm thinking about getting it from my mom. She loves that show. Alright. Great show. Do we wanna do we wanna talk about the subplot of the episode before we move on to our yes. other segment? Sure. So the subplot of the episode is they're, they ha- they're having a water shortage. The water trucks haven't arrived to fill up the tanks, so they don't have water to cook with. That's why everything is made with canned milk. Which causes my abs- to- my it causes my absolute favorite scene, and um, Sabrina knows about this because I was messaging her while I was watching it last night because I literally ran the episode back to watch Hawkeye and BJ shaving out of the helmet together because I was, they're so I was cute. Four minutes, I was four minutes into the episode typing the outline, <laughs> and she's like, I just rewatched this scene. And I was like, I haven't even got there yet. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, they're just adorable. Continue telling us about the B-plot. I'll shut up. <laughs> no, go ahead. Her favorite scene is the scene where Hawkeye and BJ are shaving together. To conserve water. I just think they're too but, cute, and they're complaining about it, and it's adorable. <laughs> One of them says, but, um, I'm, I'm not taking my whiskers off, I'm putting yours back on. Yeah, basically. They're using the same shaving cream. <laughs> the subplot is, obviously, that they don't have water, they don't have water to shower with, they don't have water to, to cook with. Um, all the water is being reserved and given to the patients uh, in the hospital. 
And the subplot is that they find out that Charles has found a way to bathe and shave and do all the things he needs to do. So it's Hawkeye and BJ trying to track down Hal, basically. There's even the comment about some lucky patient is washing his pills down with water right now. Yeah. I I like the line uh, Potter tells Hawkeye that we all have to bite the bullet, and Hawkeye says, I don't mind biting the bullet. I just need something to wash it down with. (laughs) But I think you brought it up, and I think it was in your your podcast uh, prep, that you kind of see it as, I guess, them bullying Charles. I don't see it as bullying, but uh, I, I it does annoy me a little bit whenever they feel entitled to Charles's stuff, uh, which also came up with the newspaper episode where Charles has um, newspapers and he's the only one who has newspapers and they're they want his newspapers, which it, it's I know that it's not fair that he has more than them, but also that's it doesn't really mean that they are entitled to his water, and frankly, he doesn't have enough water to go around. That's why he's keeping it secret. And if they're splitting it up between them, there's not going to be enough for anybody to enjoy it. So You, you think they would have learned something from the bathtub incident? Yes, the secret bathtub episode. The tub club. The tub club. <laughs> do not talk about tub club. We do not talk about tub club. <laughs> but I think, I, I, I think the problem is not necessarily the... Charles doesn't share, it's that Charles doesn't even offer it. I mean, everybody else in the camp kind of seems to share what they get from home. And Charles hoards it. Yeah, and also that he he was being smug. He was being very smug. He was prancing his cleanliness around in front of them, and he he did ask for it a little bit by doing that. If he would have just kept it secret and on the down low, not been smug Mm -hmm. about it, he might have been able to get away with it. I agree. But I did really love the scene at the end when um, they burst in on him on the shower and they, I don't know if we mentioned, the the way he was staying clean was that he was hoarding Vichy water from France, bottled water, and BJ and Hawkeye burst in on him in the shower and take his bottle of water and he tries to chase them and ends up running out of the shower tent in the nude, which uh, there are a lot of hoots and cheers from outside, so there were a lot of personnel who were waiting to see uh, (laughs) Charles in his birthday suit out there. Trying to imagine the the call to arms that happened there. <laughs> I imagine it was it was a lot like the time when Margaret went into the nurses and was like, hey. I I loved your com- on the other podcasts, just you talking about just imagine the conversation that led up to that. <laughs> hey nurses, here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> I know what we all really want. And I know how we're gonna achieve it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the episode. Well, we've got uh, the, similar... like, final, that very final scene, though, still. Uh, but the final scene is literally just Klinger walking in, telling them that they're water. And no, 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 no. The one where um, Harris actually makes up with Mulcahy and oh, that's a great Hawkeye scene. Yeah. gets totally okay. shot down by her. It's okay, beautiful. Okay, <laughs> Um, where Harris invites Mulcahy to sit at the table with her after all this awkwardness that's gone on. And he sits down, makes quite a show of saying grace. Just let me remind you that I'm still a priest before I sit next to you. I'm a little nervous, so just exaggeratedly, gonna exaggeratedly cross myself here. (laughs) You apparently have never eaten with Catholics. (laughs) If you think that's exaggerated. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm speaking as a heathen here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the my favorite thing is just Hawkeye getting shot down and Mulcahy's reaction to that whole thing. He has a smug ass face. Yes, on he does. After that happens. And him telling him that some guys have got it. Some guys got it and some don't. And then of course there's the adorable Hawkeye being all like, You're so cute. <laughs> you you gives him a little chin chuck. I love that final sequence because it shows that not everything has changed. Like everything works out okay and all, but it's not. It's not like she's suddenly into Hawkeye, and you know what I mean. Nope, she still just likes priests. <laughs> she has Which a, is a problem for her. <laughs> it is a problem. Is it unless a- unless she wants to marry a man and then he goes into the priesthood because that's actually illegal. Oh, there you go. Because well, Catholics think that. Divorce is a bigger sin than the priest being married, so if you're married and then decide to go into the priesthood, you can actually stay married. Well, I wonder, is this a problem that follows her in life, or is it just Mulcahy? I'm assuming it's just Mulcahy. I don't, he's, I don't know. Well, he's, he's pretty special. He is special, <laughs> which takes us to the second half of the episode today. What we are going to have an adventure with is why we love Father Mulcahy. Right. Father Mulcahy Appreciation Podcast. And so we love him because he is adorable. And he really is. He really just is adorable. I do not love him because because of him I had to watch Smurfs. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Excuse you? I have to accept responsibility for that. Uh I'm sorry. Who waited until the other person got through the episode and found out where it was to watch it? I did. (laughs) Because I'm clever. (laughs) <laughs> yes, uh, William Christopher, it, for those of you who don't follow my blog, um, William Christopher does voice a character on the Smurfs uh, whose name is Angel Smurf. <laughs> it's typecasting. Typecasting, yes. Uh, it made me have to watch the Smurfs, and I regretted that decision ever since. And then apparently it caused other people to go watch the Smurfs too, which I'm really sorry about. I didn't think about the consequences <laughs> of my actions there. It's, it's okay. We'll We'll survive. <laughs> not the worst thing she's made me do that's true <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah, so why we love him well Katie is such a very layered character because very deep style yeah as you were as we were saying he's very much considered to be over, kind of overlooked and things like that but he's actually very multi-layered like when you find out things about him like his connections with the black market and stuff yeah he that's I think what is so intriguing to me about him is the the multi-layeredness the super nice nicest person in the world exterior and then everything else that is going on underneath that and we get to know about tantalizingly little of that just because he's such a shy character and he doesn't have that many episodes focused on him but we just get these little glimpses of things about him that are very very interesting very intriguing like the black market connections and a lot of other things, like probably not such a good childhood, um, probably a pretty gritty family background, it seems like. Yeah, I'm which... super confused by that. I just swore at some point he mentioned g- being raised in an orphanage, but then he mentions, like, his parents. He mentions you know being I mean? raised in an orphanage? I'm pretty sure at some point, maybe I'm just hearing things and making shit up in my mind because it happens. I don't remember that, but... Um, given the writing on this show, it's, it's totally possible. possible. I mean, Margaret's dad is dead, but alive, so. <laughs> we know 
There was Hawkeye's mom, so it's fine. Yes. We we know that he had three brothers, but he's only stayed close to his sister. And I think we know at some point that his parents drank and were maybe sometimes violent. And in the episode, the interview, where they're all giving these heartfelt hellos to their families over the camera, it comes time for Mulcahy to say hello to his family, and he just kind of gets this automatic-looking smile, this, you know, very very surface-level smile, and just says, hello, and doesn't say anything else, and that's very telling. It's definitely true. He's got that, like, the smile that doesn't reach your eyes. Yes. It's, he's got that going on, and he doesn't seem to want to say hello to his family very much, but he does it just because he's been asked to, and it's going to look weird if he doesn't. So you just wonder what's what's going on. What happened? <laughs> and he's such a nice person, too. Yes. Actual nicest person in the world. Actual nicest. He really is, though. And all of that, like the the lying and the way that he's sometimes kind of manipulative, et cetera, et cetera, is very much benevolent, I guess is the word I'm thinking. Yes, he uses his powers for good. And he's also sassy as all get out. Oh, yeah, and he gets away with it because he's the nicest person in the world. He can get away with being a passive-aggressive, sassy, catty. And then, of course, he's also a very surprisingly physical character Mm -hmm. that way. It's very similar to the way that BJ is a concealed ball of rage. You don't expect him to be into boxing and running and things like that, but he completely is. Yeah, there's there's a scene which it hasn't come up on my blog yet. It's in the queue. Mulcahy actually takes BJ into his tent to teach him how to use the speedball <laughs> to deal with his pent up rage, and um, it's it's kind of sweet because it's like, oh, here's a meeting of the repressed rage society we're gonna meet in in my tent and hit the hit the speedball together i really love the idea of that being a club <laughs> okay he and, and bj okay he and bj being balls of fury <laughs> so horrible but love thy neighbor or i'll punch your lights out yeah <laughs> yes he does occasionally there are scenes where he he lashes out violently every once in a while father Mulcahy. And it's very surprising because of the way that we are used to seeing him. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like Radar in that in that regard. Like, especially early season Radar. Mm-hmm. In later seasons, Radar becomes so bitter, though. It's just... To be fair, the, the episode where he really is being bitter, goodbye Radar, he's had a terrible day in that episode. I just watched it recently. And I was thinking about it, but a lot of terrible things happened to him in that episode, so you can see why he's pretty disgusted by the end of it. But just in general, I mean, the, the characteristics of Radar in general in the last, like, two or three seasons that he's in are just... He's not the same character he was in the beginning. Well, it's after he loses Henry, really. Eh, he's okay for season four. I think it's more season five. Starts more in season five. And when he... The scales kind of fall from his eyes about Hawkeye. That mm-hmm. fallen idol. It's a great episode. Yeah, as soon as he realizes that Hawkeye is not a god. It's too bad Hawkeye doesn't realize it. <laughs> he leaves his childhood in Korea. He does, and it's sad. I like that this has become the radar is sad. <laughs> <laughs> discussion. 
We were talking about Mulcahy, but then we... Yes, Mulcahy. Um, but he, he also, much like Radar, he's a very innocent-seeming sort of character that loses a lot of his innocence due to the war. I, I think much the way we, we made Frank to be the, the personification of the war, I think that, that Mulcahy is the personification of the innocent bystander mm-hmm. in the war. Oh, definitely. Yeah, oh, I really like that. Because he's he's literally a bystander in the show all of the time. That's one of his aspects of his character is he feels useless because he's not a doctor and all he can do is kind of stand at the side and try his best to be useful and hand people things and um, he does whatever he can, but he he feels powerless and useless. And there's that bit of, and it, it's not on purpose at all, it's one of those things where you know it wasn't purposely in there, but that's that the foreshadowing when he asks if he can get a tracheotomy. Yes. I love that because of how it works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I doubt it was... It was not purposeful, but <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of foreshadowing by accident. Mm-hmm. I think I think my favorite single moment of Father Mulcahy is, it's in one of the earlier seasons, <clears throat> he's feeling really down on himself, and it's when he tells Hawkeye that, that Hawkeye gets to see whether or not his actions worked. Okay, he doesn't get that luxury, I guess. I think it's in um, it's in the early se- it's in season one, I do believe. I'm pulling open my screen caps folder because they're titled <laughs> by episode titles, so I'd be able to figure it out if I can find that scene. It's it's season one because I believe it's when he does the the prayer over the soldier that they think's gonna die, and I only remember that it's season one because the anesthesiologist is still in it. Oh yeah. And I guess that's true most of the time. He doesn't get to know if he's... Like, every now and then, he'll be able to see the effect he makes with someone. But usually, he doesn't know. He His actions have this very um, slow, cumulative build-up effect, I feel like, because he just he improves the quality of life of people at the camp just by hanging around and being kind. But it's it's all of these little actions that add up rather than big acts of heroism, although he does have his big acts of heroism from time to time in the show. One of the episodes that I debated picking for this podcast was Dear Sis, where he... I don't want to give away too much in case you guys decide to do an episode about this for Christmas or something later, but he he wakes up Charles's cold, cold heart, basically, <laughs> through an act of kindness. And he doesn't even see it as anything special. He's Charles says, oh, Father, you saved me. And he's kind of like, how do I do that? So he doesn't really understand how much his actions affect the other people at the camp. But I think his problem is that the ultimate goal of, of any, I guess, religious figure, for lack of a better word, is the ultimate salvation of a person's soul, if you believe in that. And, and I think that's his problem, is that he'll never know if it actually worked or not. Right. Just he's relying on blind faith. Can I say that I love that he calls Hawkeye the crazy agnostic? <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> I just like that response. You crazy agnostic. That crazy agnostic. I love that he wears all of those hats, though, that okay, he's ready to minister in all the faiths. Which army chaplains have to do. I mean, mm, That's true. It makes sense, but I, at the same time, I just love it. I love that we see him doing the bris and things like that. Yes, I love when he does Hebrew services. For some reason, I just I find that very adorable. Probably because he's just so very 
blonde <laughs> and Anglo and um, goyish, if you will. He is so person. he is so European white. It's not even funny. Yes, I can't find that episode where he's talking to Hawkeye in the mess it's tent. Okay. It's season one. I know it is. Yeah. But it's fun to see him doing the different things like that. And the fact that he has, you know, and I know that, you know, it's kind of a requirement as an army chaplain, but the the idea that he has the respect for all those different faiths and people's other beliefs. And, and he takes an obvious delight in doing it. He's fascinated with other faiths. Like when in the episode where they have to have the Korean priest come in and do the exorcism, he's he's just all over that. He's utterly fascinated. So he doesn't have any any kind of judgment of other people for their religions. But, but here's what I've noticed, and, and this is probably going to come out not the way I mean it to. Being that I spent the first 16 years of my life Catholic, now I'm a crazy agnostic, but whatever. Catholicism, while it dictates certain things, is not the the Christian religion that is that is the one that's going to be like, at least nowadays, not embracing other faiths and other breakoffs of that particularly with the pope we have now but yeah it's it's not it's not really fair i guess to group catholicism in with other branches of christianity that might be more i'm trying to put it delicately uh <laughs> convert happy <laughs> you are not wrong like, like you're never going to see Catholics go door to door trying to convert you to Catholicism, right? Whereas I live in the South and the Baptists do it all the time. Yes. No, no offense to Baptists out there. I'm sorry. Nope, they're just doing their job. They do. <laughs> well, we know he's uncomfortable with the Southern Baptist service. Yes, so forceful <laughs> and frenetic. <laughs> I but can't even like, begin to imagine Mulcahy doing something. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's not too much trouble. But from what I understand, um, one of the things you you learn while you're going through the priesthood, at least from all the priests I've met, is that you study theology, and it's not just Catholicism and Christianity. You study all aspects of theology. Yeah, and I think that comes through in Mulcahy because he he just sees he sees every religion as sort of part and patchwork part of the same the same thing. Got the same goals pretty much. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in patchwork, they 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 are relatively similar. I mean, the three main religions in the world, while they're called different names, basically all share the same god. The the big difference is the prophet. Right. So, I mean, and share a patchwork that is very similar of one another. And, and I like the fact that Mulcahy can understand that. Yes. He finds it interesting, too. I do, too, to be honest with you. And I come yes. from a background where I have a father who was raised Catholic and a mother who's an atheist. I have, uh, that's funny, I have a mother who was raised Catholic and a father who's an atheist. <laughs> very similar backgrounds. I have a mother who is Methodist and a father who was Catholic, and I'm an atheist. <laughs> We're doing real good, guys. <laughs> but religion's not as cut and dry as it used to be either. It gets more and more complex. Let me let me rephrase that. Atheism is probably not the right word. Agnostic leaning towards atheism. Agnostic leaning towards atheism. I call myself a pantheist, which one of those um, 
I forget if it was Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, or one of those guys said that pantheism was just, quote, sexed up atheism, unquote. But um, so I guess I'm a sexed up atheist. Hey, that's pretty good. But I'd rather identify as as being believing in something rather than believing the absence of a belief. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. It's just a personal feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what religion is. It's mm-hmm. belief is based on your thoughts. And I think that's why it's probably becoming so very multifaceted more and more these days. There's a lot more placed on individual belief and thoughts in general. It's it's not the same thing, but similar to how we it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing where gender is such a fluid thing now. Yes. Um, because it comes down to how you feel. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've enjoyed about running this Father Mulcahy blog is I, I always go and peek at new followers whenever I get a new follower I just go and peek at them like who's who's this person what's this person all about and I really have a an interesting variety of religious backgrounds uh following that tumblr which is pleasing I don't want to call out anybody but it's it's just fun to see everybody joining sort of the same interest and also the discussions that arise out of that from time to time are fun too I think it's a big um, compliment to the success of the character that such a large amount of varying religious backgrounds do find him interesting, compelling, and like him. Yes. As as someone who, who has a, a large disdain for organized religion in general, at this point in my life, due to the backgrounds of some people in my family, Mulcahy kind of brings maybe a little bit of that faith back to me. Not in God, in humanity in general. I completely agree with that. And I I spent my childhood being press-ganged into various churches, basically, and it took a long time to uh, to get over that kind of lack of trust for religious people. And a lot of it's come back, a lot of it is because of just people that I've met and, you know, just being more comfortable with, with everybody now, but it's been nice to i'm trailing off and i'm trying to say he he represents all the good things that are inherent yes and yes and being so interested in him as a character has helped me recognize those traits in religious people that i know in real life see my family was not while while we were catholic i mean i had a baptism i had a confirmation first holy communion but my family eastered and christmas did Uh, for at least the 16 years that, that I was forced to do it. And it wasn't so much force. Uh, I had a step grandparent who, uh, is a man and he's not Catholic. He's some non-denominational Christian. I don't know. It was one of these human beings that believed that if you don't believe exactly what I believe, you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you why you're wrong and why it's going to send you to hell. Uh Uh-huh. And... Being around that is the reason that I hated religion, is the reason that I hate I hate organized religion. And, and the reason that, that most people within that Christian faith kind of off-put me in a lot of ways. Like I said, I'm seeing a character on television who isn't your typical Catholic priest, who doesn't see you as an inherently bad person just because you don't believe. Is, is is refreshing, and I mean, especially for a show that ran during the 70s. It really is. And of course, now we, now have, we have Pope Francis, Francis 
same given name as Father Mulcahy, coincidence? I don't know. But uh, we have Pope Francis who has said something. That's his chosen name, but whatever. (laughs) Go ahead, sorry. Um, I know. But (laughs) I I believe Pope Francis has said something similar about, you know, you don't have to be a, a Christian to be a good person. I actually have that quote saved. That's probably my favorite quote from him. But he's absolutely right. It's a very enlightened way of thinking about things. Well, you have to understand, though, that how you have to understand how far Catholicism has come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Francis said, it is not necessary to believe in God to be a good person. In the way a traditional notion of God is outdated. One can be spiritual but not religious. It is not necessary to go to church and give money. For many, nature can be church. Some of the best people in history did not believe in God, while some of the worst deeds were done in his name. Right on. Right on. That's a... I think that might be a good note to end on. What do y'all think? That sounds pretty good. Unless you have anything else to add in? Just, uh, probably reiterating the fact... Oh, I wanted to talk about my very last item on my Why I Love Father Mulcahy list, which is a short one. Go right ahead. (laughs) The black (laughs) t-shirt. You know you the one. This is we your equivalent. Episode talking about dress uniforms. I was about to say that's <laughs> this is your equivalent of our thoughts on dress uniforms. <laughs> the black yes. t-shirt. The black t-shirt. I don't need to say any more about it. <laughs> People know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Hey Taylor, you want you want to work on picking our next episode? Sure, let's do it. We're gonna pick for our next one. You have the generator up. I do. All right, hit the random generator. Get three times. If you count Welcome to Korea as one episode and Bug Out as one episode, it's the nurses. No, the abduction of Margaret Houlihan. Oh, yay, Colonel Flag. Colonel so, Flag! So I guess our next episode is season five, episode four, the episode seven, the abduction of Margaret Houlihan. Sounds good to me. And we'll get to meet one of our side Which is characters. great, because I get to talk about Margaret some more. Yes. We, know, we all know what your favorite thing to do is. <laughs> I love to talk about her and Hawkeye, and I love to talk about them together, and you can just leave me alone on that. So thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, we have our plethora of social media that you can find us on. It'll all be linked in the Tumblr post for this particular episode, rather than having the part where we go through the list of them again. (laughs) Please, feel free to contact us. Um, We like hearing from people. We do. It makes us feel special. But I guess that's it. And thanks for listening.